Look how cute she is. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the fourth Thursday of the month, which means it's time for Vegan Conversations with Robert Cheek. He has a very special guest he's going to introduce you to in a moment. I just want to show you the really cool shirt the special guest offers if you're interested. I love it. It's so warm and fuzzy and comfortable. But first, let's welcome Robert. Hey, Robert, I know what you've been up to, but tell everybody. Hey, Chef AJ. Thanks so much for having me here. Another Thursday in another month. It's great to be back home. Uh, I have been, speaking of home, I have been traveling a lot lately. I've been in Oregon twice in the last two months. I've been in Los Angeles. I've been writing my new book and working on the edits on that. And I've been doing some new things, some new projects, and uh, looking forward to the Boulder Boulder this weekend here in Boulder, Colorado, big 10K with tens of thousands of people. I'll be working at that event with Vegan Strong. So uh, I've been keeping busy, uh, no doubt. I swear to God, you're the hardest, you and Dr. Neil Barnard, you seem like the hardest working people in, I was going to say show business in veganism. You're <laughs> always somewhere. Hey, we can call it show business. Hey, yeah, it actually is kind of, you know, Robert, I guess it's okay to say now because you sent out an email to those on your mailing list, kind of what your, your next book is almost called. You haven't completely settled on it, but are you allowed to say what some of the options are being considered? Yeah. Yeah. So my new book is about how to most effectively reduce animal suffering using data-driven evidence to guide our decision-making and our actions to make the greatest impact for animals. So we use those words like impact and effectiveness and impactful. So, you know, tentatively, we're looking at the impactful vegan, which is basically showing how to make the greatest return on your investment with your uh, donation dollars, with your volunteer hours, with your skills and talents and resources and connections, with your purchase power, voting with your dollars, uh, the conversations you have with people, uh, those types of things, and how to really make a difference for animals, particularly farm and farmed animals that are abused the most, especially chickens and fish. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for doing that. And when might we look forward to this? Well, tentatively June 11th, 2024. So a little wow. over Wow. Oh boy. I might have a book coming out that day. I good. I don't want to compete with you all. Ask them <laughs> to do it earlier or later. Well, terrific. And who have you got as your special guest today? I have a wonderful guest today. I am super excited to introduce Elkie Arneson, who is a vegan athlete and success coach. And so I'm going to bring her on to the screen today. Uh, Elkie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Robert. And thank you so much, Chef AJ, for just having this platform for us. I have been listening to the show and I've been watching those that I know on it. So it's really surreal and it's really cool to be part of this. So thank you. Oh, you're well, so welcome. You, 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 you look, are you like 14 or how? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> definitely not 14. I'm 25. <laughs> but you, you, look, so, you look great. And I'm sure we're going to learn today why you look so great. Thank you. I do try to take care of myself. <laughs> so Elkie, we've got an interesting um, topic today about what do peanuts, uh, peanuts and marathons have in common. We're going to okay. talk about that. We're going to talk about your vegan journey because on Vegan Conversations with Robert Cheek, that's kind of what we talk about, your journey to veganism and all of that. But I want to just quickly uh, take a step back only two years ago uh, where we met at yeah. the Vegan Superhero Academy retreat on the dance floor, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> That's accurate, so, yep. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about the Vegan Superhero Academy and v Vegan Superhero Academy retreat and all that. But first, let's just talk about that uh, 
you know, how we know each other, our initial meeting. And then we actually became neighbors where you were living literally just about across the street. I mean, just <laughs> a quarter mile down, the, you know, crossing one street. So um, talk about how how we met and, and, you know, what context that was in. Yeah, you know, it was a little surreal because I, for a little bit of context, just so people know the relation, my my older brothers are Leif and Anders Arneson, who are the co-founders of the Vegan Gym, Vegan Superhero Academy. And we had this retreat. And so I knew, I knew of you <laughs> because I've heard them talk about it and uh, talk about you and the impact that you've had on their lives, seeing a vegan bodybuilder that really, that made it, that got popular and everything else. And so I knew the essence of who you were but then I didn't fully make that connection when I saw you in person and met you. And then I realized later. And then once we didn't really have a full interaction until it was nonverbal, where we were essentially breakdancing <laughs> together for two hours. <laughs> yeah, you and I kind of dominated the dance floor at that retreat, which had about 75 people. And you and I yeah. kind of uh, stole the show. And, uh, and I think that's probably true in most of the dancing circumstances we both find ourselves in where we're kind of in the middle of the circle doing our thing and as it turned out we were both having that same sort of mindset at the same event at the same time exactly. and, so, and so we got to hit it off there and, and spend some quality time with you your brothers your parents uh and yeah. and all the coaches and trainers and other staff members at the vegan gym which uh we're going to talk about as well, you know, what is the vegan gym? Or, or people often ask, where is the vegan gym? Uh, that's a question you get quite a bit. I'm wearing the vegan gym uh, shirt right yeah. now. I'm but, actually not repping. I'm wearing one of my favorite workout clothes though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Chef AJ and I are both rep repping the vegan gym right now. But I have let's, like 10 I could go grab. <laughs> I, I know you do, I know you do. But I'm curious about what peanuts and marathons have in common. And I also wanna hear your vegan backstory. So would you mind sharing that with the audience today? Yeah, short story first, just in terms of the, the question. And I, I thought it was a very compelling question and kind of comical, which is why I wanted to go with it. But the idea of peanuts and marathons being related is kind of absurd outside of the common denominator being my story. And I'm happy to I feel, I feel like chronologically it makes the most sense, but they're, they're just so intertwined running and athleticism with this, uh, this passion for food and sustainability and food systems and getting closer to our food. So all of that is so connected for me, but it honestly, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, <laughs> but my story started out in Year, years ago uh, when I went vegetarian for the first time and I went vegetarian honestly on a dare <laughs> and I went vegetarian I never liked I never liked meat I never ate it much and I would always kind of pick at it and I didn't ever really want to eat it and then my friend dared me to go vegetarian with her for 30 days for a month and I said yeah why not I don't like it that much anyway a year and a half later, <laughs> I had just stayed vegetarian. I was like, yeah, I, I never want to go back. I'm very happy with this. But I didn't understand any of the larger impacts that that had. I didn't understand anything about the, honestly, the moral impacts even, moral or environmental, health-related, anything like that. And 
I went to I went to Hungary. I went to the the country, <laughs> and when I was there, I had to eat what I was given, and I didn't have many resources, and so I I was in a position where I was being taken care of by others, and in that situation, I didn't know the language very well. I didn't know how to communicate, hey, could I have this instead or anything like that. So I ended up needing to eat meat that entire time frame. And I felt very ill and very uncomfortable. And I thought more about it of like, what even is this? What even am I eating? And that just sowed the seed and that really established that, oh, I, I really don't ever want to go back to that. And so when I came home, that was the, the fundamental decision that I made. Over this time, my brother Leif was uh, experiencing a cancer diagnosis and getting treatments for that. And he decided to, he came to the conclusion that he wanted to be plant-based. It just was what the research had for, you know, the best cancer growth prevention. And so he made that change, had that, that just passion for it. And he wanted all of his loved ones to go vegan because he knew how much better for our health it would be. And so he, his voice was in the back of my head this entire time as well. And so when I came back, I was really into environmental work and everything else. So the angle that Leif took <laughs> was, hey, if you want to be an environmentalist, if you care about these things that you say you care about, your actions really need to stand behind that. And here's all the evidence of the effects of of animal agriculture on climate change, those kinds of things. And so when I dove into that, it was just a no brainer. And I, I went vegan and I've been vegan ever since. I'm coming up on eight years. Yeah, and and your oldest brother Leif was only 21 when he had that cancer diagnosis yeah. and adopted a, a plant-based diet shortly thereafter. And is, but, uh, he's in his early thirties now. And he's been doing that for uh, about a decade or so and built uh, along with uh, your brother Anders and, and you and others, perhaps the, the largest online vegan personal training company in the world, at least that I know of, which is the vegan gym. And so it's been pretty amazing to watch uh, that grow. And you are a huge part of that because you are a success coach, which sounds pretty awesome to me. Like that's <laughs> something I would want. I would want to, I mean, we all want a success coach. Uh, yeah. And most of us, whether we know it or not, can benefit from uh, coaching. We often think of sports, perhaps, you know, like you're on a, you have a, a soccer coach, you're on a basketball team, you have a basketball coach, you have coaches in the, these other areas. Uh, I had a writing coach and, you know, I eventually made my way to the New York times bestseller list, um, mm -hmm. largely because of some of that influence. Uh, we have coaches in many other areas. They have different names sometimes, sometimes as trainer or therapist or advisor okay. or mentor, right? So can you talk about, um, your role with the vegan gym and your role as a success coach and maybe even share some of those success stories. Yeah, I'm honored to actually. So, and for a little bit more background, I, I was honestly working with Leif on this idea that wasn't set in stone about the vegan gym many, many years ago, back in 2016. And then I left and I did my own thing and then I ended up coming back. So I've been here for two years, totally different approach, totally different name, totally different everything than what we were even thinking it could possibly be years ago. And I just celebrated, what is today's date? The 25th, I celebrated my official two years, two days ago on the 23rd. 
And my role success coach, it does sound like a really cool title, (laughs) but it essentially means that I set individuals up for success within our academy program. And so that will mean a variety of different things. I have strategy sessions with individuals that are interested in coaching. And then we navigate, okay, what are the, what do you want to accomplish? What are the different roadblocks that are in the way to accomplishing your health and fitness goals. And oftentimes it's also involved with mindset and everything else. I actually had this really cool strategy session with a new client this morning who we navigated a lot of those, a lot of just mental barriers, right? Of self-belief and and habits and past failures and what do those mean and how can we view them now? So really navigating, okay, what's in the way to achieving the life that you wanna achieve? to being the version of yourself that you wanna be. And then figuring that out, talking through everything together. And then I'm also the matchmaker. So I know the coaching team in and out, and then I pair individuals with the coaches who are going to be the perfect fits for them. That's the gist. (laughs) Well, I I love that. And actually I wanted to ask you, I was thinking about it today before our conversation, I wanted to ask you what some of those obstacles and barriers are. I've had them myself, like, And for me, I know sometimes I think it's been ego a little bit. You know, I created this vegan bodybuilding movement uh, decades ago, and I've been a champion bodybuilder and a best-selling author and all that. Do I still need coaching? Sometimes it's like I have the ego get in the way. Other times I wonder, am I coachable? Like, will I fail? Mm -hmm. Like, especially, or will it be intimidating for someone to take me on as a a client? Um, But what are some of the barriers that you see? You talked about limiting beliefs. Um, past uh, failures, patterns, things like that. Are there any things that are that are kind of common, like common de- denominator barriers and obstacles? Is it like fear of the unknown? Is it uncertainty? Is it what if I fail and what if I fail publicly or even publicly just with my trainer and, and this team? Uh, what are some of the things that stop people from pursuing coaching or make them hesitant to get into it? I love this question, Robert. Thank you for asking it. And it's all of the all of the above, right? So anything, well, and maybe it would be maybe it would be helpful for me to share a bit of my own story just in terms of roadblocks that I've encountered. Would that be yeah. helpful? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about your relationship with food and how that has changed over yeah. the years. All, yeah. all these types of things that led you to be in a position to understand the the mindset and and barriers that and apprehension that people have as well as understanding the motivations they have i mean you've had over 1300 people go through the vegan gym uh, coaching program at the vegan superhero academy yeah. it's been wildly successful and um so please share some of that background that put you in that position to be super motivated to want to contribute in this way you know what? And I'm my initial answer is actually different than what I'm going to say to you right now, because even as I'm processing, it, I was like, actually, this is a really big part of my story. Growing up, there's always been this hunger that I have been around and that I've seen, especially in, in my older brothers. And life was, has been a huge part of my story, just in that if I was doing something that didn't serve me, you'd just be like, what benefit does that bring to your life? What do you, what do you want? And so he, he almost initiated that questioning process for me of, okay, what am I, what are my intentions within this? What do I want to create? But he also showed a lot of that just 
that idea of self-belief. And that's not a fully formed thought because I'm just kind of realizing that in this moment. <laughs> so bear with me with that. But in my own story, I have I've struggled a lot with relationship with food and with body image. And I I think almost everybody can identify with that. And at least the vast majority of women can identify with that, right? Where we are told to look a certain way, we are told to kind of act a certain way, and you just start getting a lot more self-conscious. And I struggled with my relationship with food then because it was a very, it was very push-pull. It was very love-hate because I loved cooking and I loved, I loved eating and I love delicious food. Who doesn't? <laughs> and then I had so much internalized shame around all of it too. So I, and I, I'm going to say this too with a preface that I was never officially diagnosed for this, but pretty much all of the, all of the qualifications necessary in order to get there is I, I did struggle with a strong binge eating relationship with food and that's at the minimum it's it might be classified as a binge eating disorder at that point and struggle with that for well over a decade of my life and it came with a yo-yoing in the weight as well because in cycles where I was down on myself or stressed and then I ate more and then I was more stressed and then more depressed and then more self-conscious and it's this vicious cycle where it repeats itself and that would just happen off and on just due to life circumstances. And so when I talk with clients or when I talk about what's possible, it's truly coming from a place of seeing it in my own story. And all of this, again, is just prefaced with the fact that I am, I'm 25 years old, right? I'm not, I'm not 60 or 80 and have all these different years of life experience, but I have had a lot of experience in my years. And I can only speak from a place of, okay, this is what I've experienced. This is what I see. These are our coaches experience. This is what I know it's possible. So regardless of the obstacles that are in your way, there is a way to navigate them. Very commonly things come up that are like stress, stress and uh, shame around food are really big ones. So going to food for comfort eating, um, going to just like in doing habits that really don't serve you just because they, you've developed that as almost a coping mechanism throughout your life. So that could be anything that could be just tuning out and watching the TV when you are super stressed after work and you can't think or be present with yourself. Or it could be, I've done this. I've tried this. I've been yo-yoing for decades now. What, what am I to think that it could be different in the future? And so a lot of people tend to identify, okay, this is the core of it, ready? <laughs> this is my real answer to your question. Thank you for following me on this journey. The real core of it is that people identify with who they know themselves to be from the past. Mm. And when you hold on to who you were, it almost makes you stagnant. And you can't necessarily evolve into the version of yourself that you really want to become. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Please continue. It's really just unraveling that and saying, why were you there? Why did you feel that way? Why was that happening? Where do you want to go? This is the difference. It's not you. It's what you've been doing. And when you can remove the identity of somebody from I'm a failure to the things that I've done have not been sustainable for me. 
that is a true game changer for a lot of individuals because then they realize, oh, I'm capable of success if I have the right system around me. That's great, Elke. I've been taking all kinds of notes here about stress and shame and habits that don't serve you and this whole mindset of I've tried everything. And what I really like, though, is that identity with your prior self, that that really hit home with me, um, too, because it's something that I think about a lot, that I'm getting older now. I'm in my mid-40s, early to mid-40s. I'm not the champion bodybuilder I once was, but I often like to bring up the past and show photos from when I was in the best shape of my life and when I was at the you know, top of my game and, and how I felt at that time and who I was at that time and the discipline that I had before I had a lot of other responsibilities, you know, a mortgage to pay and a family and all that kind of stuff. It makes me reflect on that. And I can totally relate to some of the challenges that people, that people have who come to seek uh, vegan coaching in, in health and fitness and nutrition, because these are things that are, are, are universal. You know, mm-hmm. I think we, we often uh, reflect on the past and compare ourselves to our prior selves, for, sometimes for better or for worse. You know, there's that, there's that cliche slogan, you know, don't compare yourself to others. The only person you should compare yourself to is the, you know, your prior self or the person you were yesterday or whatever. But sometimes when I look in the rearview mirror, that sometimes causes a little bit of obviously reflection, but sometimes even maybe even sadness or like, oh man, like I'm not where I used to be and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So imagine you, you, you do come up against some of those, those barriers. And by the way, I, I want to uh, not discredit your, your age of 25 and you graduated college in the top of your class with honors and um, remind me again, uh, biology or biochemistry? What was the uh, your area of study? Yeah. Biochemistry. Yeah. I, so biochemistry. Actually, I started out as environmental studies or something like that. And then I switched into biochemistry pre-med when everyone else was doing the opposite. So it was, it was kind of funny. It was a joke with my friends. <laughs> and you even had some research published, right? Yeah, I had an, an incredible research opportunity. So I worked under... Uh, I say under because I just have so much respect for her and her research, but Dr. Regina Lemondella, and she is one of the founders of a research lab near the school because she was also a professor where I went to school. And so I, I studied under her and I joined onto the project that she was It was partnered with Penn State's nutrition uh, department. So it was all about the effects of peanut consumption on the gut microbiome and then subsequent effects on fasting blood glucose regulation. So I I heard about that study and I got super excited. All the other things are about the environment or uh, like soil samples or about some of it was about health. And then it was more related to like a a drug test or something else like trials with that uh and I was just super excited because this was the exact focus I wanted to take I studied biochemistry because I really wanted to understand digestion and how metabolism works and how we process our food and in order to also just communicate more effectively with people of no this is actually how it works it's not uh that's just a 
a trend that you saw online. This is actually how your body functions. So I really wanted to understand that. And then studying under her, I just gained a huge passion for microorganisms and the gut microbiome. And so that passion, the passion project, the research was this perfect mix of the, the science of biochemistry and microbiology and really understanding the pathways of, okay, what we eat impacts what lives inside of us, which impacts how our bodies work uh, and what those, those microorganisms produce for our bodies. So it was just really just like this fascinating combination of, it was about, it was within the context of prediabetes and that uh, epidemic in, in the US and now in the world too. And then also the gut microbiome. That's really interesting, Elke. And also just of my own interesting observation, when I was really into uh, vegan bodybuilding and such about a decade ago, uh, there was no talk about gut microbiome, <laughs> gut health. I don't think I knew what a microbiome was. I'd been to the biosphere too in Arizona, and I thought maybe that was the biome. <laughs> I didn't, there was no talk about digestion. The thing that we did in bodybuilding was to take papaya enzymes or, or eat papaya. I learned, I learned from bodybuilders in videos way back then on VHS tapes, later on CDs, and then eventually oh. on probably the internet um, to do things like papaya enzymes. I would go to the nutrition store and take papaya enzymes, help with digestion. I never noticed any difference, to be honest, um, as far as its impact on gas or bloating or <laughs> digestion from having like this super high calorie, high protein intake uh, yeah. diet. But now, Gut microbiome, uh, gut health uh, is, is probably digestion, the, the, the biggest topic in nutrition right now. I mean, if not, not just in plant-based nutrition, but we talk about the best-selling books, the best-selling programs and courses, the thing that's on everybody's mind, it's gut health, gut health, gut health. Yeah. Uh, why, why is that uh, when it wasn't on anyone's radar, or at least not anyone I knew about a decade ago? Where did that come from? That's a really interesting question. And I feel like it is almost so much more complex than I would even be able to articulate or fully understand uh, and be able to share. But from my experiences, from what I researched and being in that world for a while, for a few years, it's really just the development of the science. <laughs> because when you have more, more massively produced technologies that allow you to uh, fund larger studies and fund more studies, then you just get more data. It's all really, it's coming back to just this idea of data collection. And when you have more information, you can draw more conclusions. And then once you have enough information, you can't just have one study and then just say, hey, hey, public, take all of this on, adopt this into your life. Like you really have to have the like well-formed research behind it, peer-reviewed over the course of many years in order for it to really become applicable to the everyday person. And so when you have the science evolve and you just learn more, then it's just natural that the public consciousness is going to come up to it eventually, right? Of, okay, this is actually relevant. And then the more we understand about how our bodies work and then then the smaller we can study, especially with just genetics. I mean, that's, that is, a newer, newer field as well, just with everything. Because when you sequence, just tell me if you want me to stop. <laughs> no, I, I think this is a fantastic answer when you you <laughs> you preface with like, oh, I'm probably not going to be able to nail this one. Um, I'm loving it. I think okay, that cool. <laughs> it makes total sense to have the, the development of science, the data collection, yeah. 
studies peer reviewed, level of consciousness raised uh, among the public, that makes sense why Fiber Fueled and others are some of the best selling plant-based books in the entire world. So there's always going to be a gap between research and then when something's actually implemented and when it's adopted by a mass group of people. And so with this kind of research, one, it is, I mean, to start out with extremely expensive <laughs> to get sequencing technology. Uh, I believe the, the sequence uh, machine, the sequence technology that we had was an aluminum MySeq, and that would be, oh man, I, I might not have the right estimate, but an easy like 40 or 50,000 just for that, that piece of technology. And that's later on in its development. And we're, a, we were a smaller lab. So you have that. And then we had two or three of uh, two or three of those. I think I'm misremembering slightly, but then on top of that, you need to be able to fund the research, fund people's time into the research, all of these other things. So not only do you need to, you need to get the investment from somebody who can provide it, but it needs to be a well-educated placement of those funds as well for you to even get that research. And then from there, like the publication process, I was on that research uh, paper for years before it was officially published, like reviewed and then published last October. (laughs) And so there's just, it's a long process because it's so detailed and you really, you can't have misinformation go out, at least if you're doing it in in an ethical, proper way uh, through the right kinds of channels, right? Yeah, that's that's really... Uh, fascinating. And I thought I was being patient with my book writing that takes two years to write a book, a a study that takes half a decade. You have to process all of the samples and then get all of the data and then process all of the data because then you have thousands and thousands and thousands of just DNA sequences. Like you could look at a file and just see like A, B, A, D, C, all of these different um, uh, just nucleotides and then you have to gather information from that (laughs) so it takes a while you know I should connect you with my older sister you know she inspired me to be vegan nearly 28 years ago and she's an associate professor at Washington State University in soil microbiology and she uh, teaches classes she does research she collects data she um, has done some interesting stuff and published some papers and all that just just being in the same kind of field of uh of I don't know, uh, studying those types of things and their impact on the environment and, and all that, you might you might find it interesting to connect with her. I remember uh, you saying that and I've wanted to meet her ever since. Yeah, <laughs> she's obviously one of the, the biggest role models in my entire life, yeah. but also she works directly in this academic field. She got her PhD in this, in this area of soil microbiology, which specializing in um, fungi. Uh, so she studies mushrooms and, and, and their impact on... Uh, probably human health in the world and all that. I should probably pay more attention, but I've been, <laughs> off, of, uh, I've been off of Twitter where she usually does her tweeting. Um, I want to, I want to switch gears for a moment, Elke. Yeah. Uh, there's something every guest on Chef AJ show uh, goes through this question about, uh, you know, what a typical day of eating is like, even though we know that what you eat is, you know, unique to you and, and your goals and your circumstances, just like what I eat is unique to me and what my goals are. And it's not this blanket thing to share, but I also want to ask you a question first. Okay. So you have, uh, we've talked about having this relationship with food and 
many of us have an unhealthy relationship with food, again, whether we know it or not, or whether we admit it or not, or whether we are comfortable talking about it or not, many of us do have a unhealthy relationship with food, I would argue, uh, myself included, in a lot of ways, uh, even being comfortable in my own skin and being disciplined and making the right choices and, and all of that, I, I think um, I have some, perhaps some unhealthy relationships with, with food and some other aspects of fitness. But I want to ask you, in your own words, what does having a healthy relationship with food look like? Oh, what a good question. My, I'm going to just share my stream of consciousness with the first instinct that I have, and it's totally going to evolve from there. But initially, I would even just say how we talk about food is developing our relationship with food. So when we say unhealthy food, healthy food, good mm -hmm. food, bad food, food that I should eat, food that I sh shouldn't eat. I think the very language that we use to begin with sets the foundation for how we relate with food. And so when we make these distinguished boxes of this is what I should do, this is what I shouldn't do, this is healthy food, this is unhealthy food. When you make that, when you say that, that's where you start to feel shame and you compare yourself to what you should be doing. Can I so interject? I think, yeah, please. Interject quickly, just so I understand, is that because we are now associating ourselves with those words? This is a bad food. If I eat it, I'm bad. Is that is that kind of part of it, or or this is like this is a good food or or bad food or a healthy food or unhealthy food? That food, I take on that identity. Like, oh, I ate this unhealthy food. I must be unhealthy. And does that become part of our? identity then um, and part of the shame and guilt and all that because of the word association? I, I really think it's it's mindset around how we relate to our food in the first place. So it's not necessarily like I did this bad thing and therefore I'm bad. It is really okay. If you're comparing yourself to an expectation that you're not currently meeting in that moment, you're going to be disappointed with yourself. And so over time, then yeah, absolutely. You can internalize that and identify with it and eventually start to say, I, I am bad. I am a failure. I am all of these things because I do these things that are not good for, not good for me. When in reality, deconstructing that idea of this is what I should do and this is what I shouldn't do. Yeah, there are some obvious ones of some things just don't serve you. I also am a huge proponent for just in my own journey, this I found to be extremely beneficial, but then for my own mental health, everything else of just saying, there's no bad food, there's good food. And then there's, there, I mean, there's food and then there's better food, right? There's just food in general. And then there's the food that my body really, really wants. And so instead of saying I shouldn't be, and I, if you are smiling because that reminds you of anybody, I, I have had a lot of conversations with Laura about that. And I got uh, that little quote from her. So credits <laughs> where it's due. <laughs> <laughs> and when you look at it that way, then it's like, okay, what do I, what do I actually want? What serves my body the most? What is going to bring me joy? What's going to make me feel really, really good. And there are times where we really do need to just enjoy something or when we are traveling or when we're going out to eat or over the holidays. Yeah. In, enjoy it. Don't, when you, 
this is what I really struggled with is I set myself so many barriers of I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. And I try to restrict so much and hold on tightly so hard that I would just, it's like a rubber band, just like snap back and then binge eat. And then it was just that cycle of, okay, I'm going to really, really, really restrict because I was bad and I need to be good. And now I binge eat again. And it's just this on off cycle where it is exhausting. <laughs> it is demoralizing and it is the cycle will just keep going if you don't break the cycle on a fundamental level as your mindset and how you're relating to food in the first place. So in terms of how I would define healthy food, maybe I wouldn't fully define it. <laughs> or a healthy relationship I, yeah. with food, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that totally was your question. Sorry. So, Or, or maybe if this is helpful, Elke, maybe reflecting on how your relationship with food changed. Maybe that would help because you did have some of those binge eating, all or nothing, shame, guilt, whatever. And, 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 and I don't know that if those are all totally behind you or not, but um, obviously now you know, you're, you're thriving, preparing for a marathon, you're a success coach, you're helping um, hundreds of other people, perhaps over a thousand, I don't know, um, do this kind of stuff. So maybe how has your relationship with food changed. And now maybe that defines your perspective of how you view it. I think it's really changed from a, a goal that I need to hit and then get there to an ever evolving lifelong process. So instead of saying, oh, I need to accomplish this and then I'll be good. It's really acknowledging, okay, there are Who's to say what's going to happen in the future? All I can do is equip myself with really good self-awareness and really good habits and really good tools in order to take those situations as they come. And so when you have those tools, then you can navigate waters in the future of stressors that come up or grief uh, and losses that happen in life or whatever else that is that really throws you off your own course and then have the tools to navigate that. So my relationship with food evolved from, wow, I, I need to be this way and I should do this or I shouldn't do that to really a, a place of self-compassion and saying, I'm rooting for myself. Before I was almost saying, I don't, I don't deserve to feel good. I have to do this. I have to look a certain way. And when I removed that expectation or what other people thought about me and shifted it towards what is going to bring me fulfillment and peace and joy into my life, that's really where, I know I'm talking really meta, but that's when my relationship with food started actually changing. And so I wouldn't call myself like, I wouldn't even use the term healed or, <laughs> or perfect or any of those things because I truly see it as just, an evolving process where you're always becoming more mindful and learning more about yourself. Does well, that's, that, does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, Elki. And I really like this. I wrote it down because I liked it so much. I, I like that you talked about, you changed your mindset and perspective from having a goal to creating a lifelong process Yeah, because goals come and go. You, I, I mean, I did an interview a couple of days ago for a different program and I'm not, I don't want to take up time talking about that, but I talked about how once I achieved this goal, I just completely stopped that activity, even though it was a positive activity. It, it was a form of exercise. And then same with writing every day. Once I reached a certain goal, I just stopped and just didn't do it for months. But when you create 
a lifelong process or a journey. People use that word a lot. And also, I wrote it down, uh, having self-compassion rather than thinking like, I don't deserve this, which I hear. I hear among friends, family, associates, I don't deserve to do this. Um, I haven't earned it or that kind of thing. I really like this, um, this commitment to compassion in a lifelong journey and process. So on that note, um, can you share, and again, listeners know this because this is every single uh, show, um, that this is your typical daily diet, not theirs. And you have some things like, I think you do gluten-free and you have a few you know, personal preferences. So can you talk about that? Uh, what, what kind of a typical day of eating looks like? And for context, which we're also gonna talk about, you are preparing for a, a marathon coming up relatively soon. So what does a typical day of eating look like within that context of you're fueling your body for some long runs at the moment and perhaps a marathon in the near future? Yes, absolutely. I am going to, I just got a, a notification. So apologies if you heard that little dinging for a second, but I just totally closed that. So it's not- I happen. saw you jump and <laughs> mine does too. My phone just did something too, um, but- <laughs> I, was, I was so prepared and I closed out everything. I didn't, I didn't even remember that that made noise. <laughs> so no, yeah. I, I do the same. I forget there's like volume on that other laptop that an email notification comes in. It happens even in the biggest interviews. And and and, and what bigger is this? Elke Arnison, Robert Cheek and Chef AJ. So, <laughs> So uh, yeah, so talk about um, what you eat in a day, Elke. Yeah, so I have been vegan for almost eight years. So vegan and mostly gluten-free. I'm gonna preface that of mostly gluten-free. It's not out of celiac or anything like that. I just, I was kind of doing a research study with myself uh, a few years back where I was like, I really don't feel good. And I was bloated and I was actually developing hives. I was developing rashes all over my body and I felt incredibly uncomfortable. And I, I looked it up and the only thing that I could see related to it was a gluten intolerance and I cut out all gluten and everything went away and my digestion was great. And then the rashes went away. And then I, and I did this cycle. I added gluten back in and add bread in. Everything came back for a few weeks and then I cut it out. And I did that maybe five times on and off. And I was like, okay, this is <laughs> the data is now there. So I've been mostly gluten-free ever since. The one, um, the main just thing for that is I do love making sourdough bread. <laughs> I love making homemade sourdough. And I find that with a long fermentation process, it's a lot easier for my body to digest. So I do that. And I honestly really like keeping it simple in terms of my nutrition daily. I love cooking. And when I have, when I have, five hours, I will create a new recipe. I will put on the music. I will dance in the kitchen. I'll grind up the spices. I'll get super invested and I love it, but that is not, the, that is not the majority of my schedule. So I usually like just really quick and easy and delicious things. One of my favorite things ever is, uh, I mean, I get a lot of frozen blueberries. <laughs> I get a lot of frozen blueberries and then I use frozen blueberries with uh, coconut yogurt and uh, and then a little bit of maple syrup and some chia seeds and a nut butter or something else and I'll have that as just I like having something that's probiotic and prebiotic in the morning and so I'll have that and I really love 
I mean, I'm, I don't stray away from processed foods. I prefer a little bit more whole foods plant-based, but if it's a really busy day, I'll grab a builder bar. <laughs> um, and that's cool. And I, I had one earlier today. So every once in a while you have to do that. And I really love, um, usually for dinner, I'll make some type of peanut sauce with rice noodles and tofu or tempeh and broccoli and just like a whole mess of, of deliciousness. <laughs> so I really love fresher foods. I love broccoli. That's a staple. I love to tofu and tempeh and noodles and snacks. <laughs> I'm a huge tortilla chip person too. So and Elkie, do you track your nutrition program or is it more intuitive eating because maybe you've already tracked it for a while, like, like I have, and many athletes have, and, and people who I think have gone through the vegan gym coaching program. Once you kind of learn tracking food for a while and kind of know the breakdown of macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, fats, calories per serving of different foods then it becomes more intuitive, or at least it has for me. Is yours intuitive or do you still track just to keep you, you know, on track? It's honestly more intuitive at, at this point. I haven't tracked in probably a year and a half and maybe even longer than that. And I, I definitely used to use that. I like to use the analogy of training wheels, right? It's like you're teaching yourself, you're using it as a tool, you're learning how to implement all of it. But then you get to a point where you don't need those training wheels anymore. And honestly, tracking every day or measuring everything is so time consuming <laughs> and so um, just inhibitory, I think, uh, more than anything else to just enjoying food. So I knew I needed it at a point. And at the moment, I've honestly kind of asked that question again of, okay, now that I'm getting further along in my training, would it be wise to be a little bit more specific about um, exactly how many carbohydrates I'm getting in before a long run or something like that? So I have thought about reintroducing it just because of how specific my goal is and where I am at the moment. But for maintenance, for daily life, for where I am, I just don't need it or want it anymore. You kick those training wheels to the curb. Well done. Well done. You're, you're intuitive eating now. So Elkie, I think you might be as good a person to ask this question as anyone I can think oh, of. Cool. Okay. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd like to just touch on this for a moment before we go into your marathon training and then kind of wrap up talking about the vegan gym and the vegan superhero academy and all the the vsa which is you know for vegan superhero academy vsa retreats that you and i have been at and I, i've been a keynote speaker at every single one i'm back again this year I'd, lo I'd love to leave listeners with some information about the vegan gym and how they can follow up with you and all that but also i want to ask you something so i've been off of social media for weeks uh I'm away from news and all that as well. That's deliberate to try to focus on writing my book. But I was, I listened to the radio uh, news when I go to and from the gym or the grocery store. And there's been a lot of information coming out lately, apparently, about the, the role that social media plays on self-esteem, especially in young women. Um, probably targeting or, or describing women, you know, a bit younger than, than you, but still, I think you would be a great uh, person to get some feedback from. How do you, what do you think about the role that 
social media plays, especially in the fitness world where everyone's comparing themselves to somebody else. You're either more popular, you're prettier, you're more fit, you're more handsome, you're more successful, you're more wealthy, you're more popular. Maybe I said popular. More. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you know, a more adventurous life. You have greater self-worth, yeah. you have cooler friends. Um, there seems to be a lot of stuff going on um, just coming out in, in recent weeks uh, that shows that this is really problematic for the well, the, the, the mental well-being, especially for young women, but for people, including, including me, it's one reason why I walk away from it. Uh, how do you feel about that, especially working in the fitness industry where a lot of people are apprehensive about, you know, chasing their goals because I'm never going to look like you know, Tori Washington or Nimai Delgado or Natalie Matthews is never going to happen for me. Why bother? Um, and again, I'm just using those examples of like amazing vegan athletes that many of us aspire to, um, to look like someday. But how do you feel about social media in this context? I have like 20 different answers that I want to share with you right now. I think about this a lot. So I do really appreciate just the, the spotlight that you put on this because it has very negatively impacted my life uh, growing up. And the bottom line is whenever you think more about what other people are doing than your own life and what you're doing, you are going to be extremely unhappy. And that is if you are, even before social media, if you're constantly comparing what your house looks like compared to what your neighbor's house looks like, or what someone's family appears to be compared to your family. It's just the comparison game. <laughs> I had this, wow, I'm having such a flashback. Um, years ago, I was really sitting in this idea and I had this realization, if it's a quote already somewhere, then credit to that person. But to me, it was new. And I was like, I thought of this, but I, I was like, the comparison game begins and ends with nobody winning. It really serves nobody's benefit. It doesn't serve you, certainly doesn't serve them. And even if you think of them as better in any ways, and any of the examples that you described, you're still doing them a disservice because you are putting them in a box of what you think that their life is like. And then it is difficult to even relate to them as a human being. I feel like we do that with celebrities all the time too. We, we glorify it. We, we say that must be so glamorous. That must be so perfect. That must be so great. When in reality, everyone has their own struggles. And when you idealize somebody else's life, you inherently look at almost like the flaws of your own. And it just, it's a, a spiral downward from there. And every once in a while, I can kind of catch myself slipping in that where I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, maybe I should, maybe I should delete this for a while. Maybe I should do that. What I think right now, I really just need to go on a walk with myself or something like that. And just really regrounding yourself in reality <laughs> because the, what you see really isn't necessarily reality. And so you have to ground yourself in what, what do I know about my own life? What is true to me? What do I want? And honestly, those examples that you used where people are like, I'll never look like Nima Delgado, Delgado, like, why should I even try or things like that? Ask yourself, is that what you actually want? <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. put of, he's put a lot of work into that. Sure. That's that he's built his career, his lifestyle around that. Is that realistic for you? Is that what you actually want? Or would that be nice? 
And so I think a lot of people romanticize the end goal without actually understanding what it takes in order to get there. Yeah. And I do that with myself sometimes where I'm like, oh, it would be super cool to do this. Wow, it would be awesome to <laughs> live the van life and drop everything and just go out and travel the world and do all of those things. Then in reality, you have van repairs, you have, uh, you actually have a lot of isolation, you have a lot of uh, feelings of missing home. It's just like, look at it logically, look at the reality of it, because it's not the picture that you're painting for yourself in your own head. And so at this point, I don't even, I don't even know if I fully answered your question. So I think social media can be a really powerful tool for increased awareness about different things that, and people coming together where they didn't think that they had support otherwise. That can be very powerful because if you're living in a small town and you don't know another vegan, <laughs> it's really cool to be able to hop on YouTube and see a live show with Chef AJ and see a bunch of vegans talking about all of it. It's like, that's awesome. However, you need healthy boundaries with it and ask yourself, is following this person, is consuming this, is thinking this actually serving my true goals? Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's the punchline that we all know myriad benefits of social media. I mean, how we connect with friends and family around the world and stay connected and how we market products and services and reach people and help solve problems and, and help benefit others and all of that. But I think it's, it's how we set boundaries and how we have that conversation within our own head. I took some notes again, because uh, you provide so much um, quotable material. Uh, you <laughs> talked about, you know, when you focus on others, nobody wins. That reminded me of holding grudges. We all do it. I'm guilty of it. I've, I've held a lot of grudges and resentment, even if the other people don't know it. It's just where nobody wins and you often only hurt yourself when you have that mentality. And so it, it reminded me of that. And I also liked that quote you said, you just ground yourself in reality. And that's not like saying, you know, um, you need a reality check or a wake up call or whatever. No, it's just, it's just saying, Hey, ground yourself in reality. Do you really want to achieve that? Uh, or do you really want that outcome? We all, like you said, romanticize maybe about being rich or famous or having this flexible schedule to live in a van down by the river or whatever. But is that something that we would, that we would really want and would it serve us? Or would we, like you said, maybe, you know, miss our friends and family or the intimate conversations or being present or being just a quick drive or flight away from seeing our loved ones or, or those types of things. So, uh, so I think you gave a, a lot uh, of, of food for thought there. Um, I want to, I know we, um, we probably have 15 minutes or less. Um, I want to be uh, honor your time frame and Chef AJ's time. Um, so I think I'd like to just jump right into, you're currently training for a marathon. Uh, why? <laughs> how, did that come to, <laughs> how did that come to be? What's your training like? Uh, you already talked about how you feel that, but how do you train for a marathon? What does your training program currently look like? And you even had a setback because you and I were neighbors. We see each other at the gym all the time and you had a, that foot, um, that, that, that foot, uh, it's not necessarily an injury, but a, a, a setback it really. And you can explain it if you want, you don't have to, but um, yeah. it, it inhibited your running for a while. And now here you are perhaps months only away from uh, 26.2 miles. So talk about that, that training and what it means to you to, to finally um, run that distance in, in one go. I'm actually having a bit of a surreal moment at the right now, because 
of how important this goal is to me and the fact that I'm able to talk about it right now is just very cool <laughs> and I'm going to I love that you first start out with why <laughs> why would somebody do that <laughs> I want to take it back and this is going to feel a little bit like we're going too far back but actually in 2016 I graduated high school <laughs> And which just shows my, my age a little bit. And I, as a graduation present, my, my mom took me on a backpacking trip in Colorado. And because I was already on Colorado, I knew somebody out here and I was like, hey, I'm gonna be here. It'd be great if we could get in another backpacking trip. So I ended up having two back-to-back -back backpacking trips. And the second one was with a bunch of really awesome young people who were just, curious and aware and just asking a lot of questions about life and I just I learned so much over that time and it was over a trail for anybody who's in Colorado or who knows it it's called the four pass loop and it's near the Aspen kind of near Buena Vista area and it is approximately 26 miles some estimates say like 25.8 some estimates say like 26.4 so it's like in that in that realm and we backpacked that over the course of four days three nights and on that trip that time of my life was a transition period obviously graduating asking a lot of questions I wasn't going to school right away I did a, a year off and all of these other things so I was already in a, a very malleable mental state and just asking a lot of questions. And on top of it, coming out of a season of a lot of stress where I had binge, uh, binged, binge, ate, binged a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, but I was, I was overweight uh, for where my body feels really comfortable. And so there were just so many factors all at once. And when we were out there one morning, there was somebody who was running past us wearing a tiny backpack and then there were a few more and then finally one of them stopped and tied their shoes in your ass and I was like what are you, what are you doing <laughs> this is crazy what are you doing right now and they're like we started at 5 a.m we're running this all in one day we're finishing this in one day and the four pass loop is over four mountain passes and it's an elevation gain of almost 8,000 feet over this over this course which is significant and then it's a full marathon distance. And my immediate thought was, I could never do that. I will never be capable of that. And it was so, it was so true. It was so certain. I was like, cool. I know that about myself moving on, <laughs> but it's been in the back of my head ever since. And when I moved out to Colorado last year, I realized that this is still in the back of my head and I want to do it if really there's no other reason outside of just proving to myself what I'm capable of. And I have been set on that goal for essentially years now. And I'm not a hundred percent sure when it, it's not an official race. Apparently there is an official marathon there, which I learned a week ago, <laughs> um, but it's not an official one. I'm just going to be running it alone, like self self-supplied. And yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure when I when it is going to happen because of just snow melt and when it's going to be passable and all of those things. But hopefully it's going to be this season. 
Well, I think your purpose behind that is beautiful, Elke. So thank you for sharing that. And I hope that serves as inspiration and motivation to many people who are listening that sometimes we do come across a pass and say, you know what, that's not for me. No, thanks. I could never do that. Um, only to find ourselves in a position somewhere down the road where we prove ourselves wrong. And we say, I did it, you know, not only like I can do it, but I did it like that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm cheering you on, by the way, I'm, uh, I'm very excited for you. So um, I love stories like that. I realized I didn't talk about the injury at all. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got like eight minutes. Um, if you want to talk about that and, and, and still talk about the vegan gym and vegan superhero Academy retreats and all that, uh, please yeah. feel free to talk about your foot. <laughs> what an amazing prompt. Please talk about your foot. <laughs> I'll, I'll breeze past it and then we, we can move on from everything. But last year I was in the, in the, um, in the midst of training and I was hoping to run it last year. And then I got an ankle injury that was extremely painful. I couldn't walk very well. No one knew what it was. Tried figuring it out for a few months, getting different kinds of care that ended up making it a little bit worse. Found out I have an extra bone in my foot. <laughs> and it's like a princess in the pea situation where it's super tiny, but it grinds and then it gets really painful. And then it's, it creates something called ostrogonum syndrome. So I've been learning how to navigate that and how to train without causing any flare-ups and so I I'm unsure at the moment if my body's fully ready for it this year we will see uh, but I'm really just trying to take a more intuitive approach to training where I'm still getting in my mileage but I'm not pushing myself to the point where I'm going to get re-injured well thank you for sharing that I knew it wasn't an injury but I wanted you to be able to explain yeah. if, if you want to um, about that uh, about that uh, scenario so uh, we're going to wrap up here Elke in the next um, six or seven minutes or so. But you and I, uh, we've had our great experiences at the Vegan Superhero Academy retreats. It's kind of like the event of the year that, that people look forward to, at least people within the vegan gym community, the okay. clients and their friends and family. You know, I had my wife, Karen, uh, go last year. Um, well, she was a client, but also, you know, uh, she came to join me and and she'll be there again this year. And, and uh, it's just been a whole heck of a lot of fun. Um, but can you just, uh, I don't know if we even clearly defined what the vegan gym is. Often people ask, you know, where is it? Where can I find this gym? Um, so if you could just give us a couple minutes about what the vegan gym is, who it is, who's it for, and again, kind of describing just briefly your role again within the vegan gym. Yeah, so The Vegan Gym is the company that my brothers co-founded. So The Vegan Gym is all about having the largest impact possible to educate people on vegan fitness and on the fact that you can accomplish incredible health and fitness goals as a plant-based athlete. And when I say athlete, I'm not just saying professional athletes or anything like that. It's anyone with a health and fitness goal. And within that, under that umbrella, we created the Vegan Superhero Academy, which is, uh, <laughs> there's a whole story behind all of that, but we call it VSA. And this is where we have a whole team of 
coaches, uh, over 170 years of coaching experience on our team. And then we work with individuals, with our clients to accomplish those health and fitness goals through the nutrition that will serve them, through the right kinds of training, through the right education, through the right mindset development and talking through everything. So our whole mission is really getting individuals to the place of self-sustainability in their own health and fitness so that they don't have to rely on us or anybody else again in the future. And that empowerment in health is truly what allows you to thrive and to succeed in what you want to succeed in. Instead, you just be dependent on somebody else or constantly buying meal plans or shakes or something else for the rest of your life, which is obviously unsustainable. So that's really the, the mission behind all of it is just empowering people who want to be plant-based or who are already plant-based to accomplish these goals and make sure that it's really in a holistic lifestyle change kind of way because then it has a ripple effect on the rest of their lives and the rest of their communities as well. And the goal, uh, kind of the, the the battle cry or the long-term goal is to help 1 million vegans get into the best shape of their lives. And yeah. that's through people going through the Vegan Superhero Academy and then the ripple effects of the influence they have out in the world, uh, which can be massive. As many professionals go through the program who have an influence on their colleagues, their their clients, their coworkers, their family. And it just, I mean, I've seen it myself. I've watched the vegan gym for uh, a couple of years now. You know, I rock the uh, the swag all the time like I am right now. Uh, your brother's been very generous with providing me with all kinds of neat things to wear around and promote the lifestyle because it's a mission that I share too, to, uh, and Leif and I have talked about that, that it's really a slogan I was talking about uh, over 20 years ago, that healthy food defines you. And uh, the more, you know, kind of healthy, happy, and fit we are, the more people we draw into this movement. And we can therefore save more animals, prevent more suffering, uh, help people achieve their own health and fitness goals, thrive, um, you know, helping the planet, which is, I know, one of your calling initially to this whole movement, um, environmental sustainability, there's just so many wins. Um, in, uh, in three words, uh, <laughs> whatever words come to mind, how would you describe the nearly week-long experience at the oh. Vegan Superhero Academy retreat? Which, well, let me, well, you think, I'll tell people quickly, we're talking like, it's like a 300-acre uh, property that we we are the vegan gym um, rents where there's kayaking and canoeing and zip lining and bungee jumping and and golf and basketball and dodgeball and archery and axe throwing and team activities and swimming and volleyball and and trails and yoga and meditation and all this stuff at um at one of um america's premier uh, locations for wellness retreats which is out in the pocono mountains um, in Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken. It, it's incredible. I mean, I don't want to steal one of your words. It's, it's a incredibly moving experience. I've been there twice now. I'll be looking forward to my third time. But how would you describe it? Yeah, I laugh at first because I'm not known for being super succinct. Neither am I. already went over an hour. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> and the, these are simple words, but if I made it more complicated, I'd have to explain it. <laughs> and then it would take a lot longer. I would say fun, just pure fun. It's playful. It's, it's a bunch of vegan adults, like hanging out and competing and doing fun things together. The second word would be grounding because it really, 
makes you feel super present and it really reminds you of your own mission and how it's connected to others and it's just powerful through that way and then the third would be impactful because it changes your your relationship with these people that you've already known for a while which is really cool but then it also just reinforces your own your own mission and your own why and it could give you new ideas so I would say fun, grounding, and impactful. Yeah, it's, I would all say just incredible, uh, rewarding, exhilarating. We didn't even talk about there's the VSA games, there's the, you're in teams, there's four teams each. I think about 150 people were there last year, something like that. So you're in these big teams of dozens of people. You collaborate together with combined scores, with uh, with kickball and dodgeball and archery and axe throwing. My my wife dominated archery and axe throwing, by the way. Um, she, rocked it. she rocked it last year, scored a ton of points. My team has been undefeated for two years straight. I don't take any credit. Our, our team. Let's go. Our team. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> And we had life on our teams. You know, we had some, we had some pretty, uh, we had Zach, we had some uh, coach Zach, we had some firepower. Uh, and yeah. Cora, uh, Cora totally rocked it. She was just <laughs> dominant in so many sports. So we, yeah, we had some amazing, and Laura, yeah, we had amazing male and female athletes and everyone in between on our team and we, we rocked it. So, um, so I'm going to bring, um, I'm going to bring Chef AJ back in here because I know we're running out of time. I know you got a, you got another thing to hop on, but um, the vegangym.com is where we can find more, right? Um, Elke, um, the vegangym.com we can, and people can learn, uh, and you don't necessarily have to, uh, I mean, the, the VSA retreat is for the vegan super Academy clients, but also friends and family have been, you know, invited to. So I don't know exactly, maybe you can speak to that. I don't know exactly because when I talk about it, everyone's like, Oh, I want to go to the retreat. I'm like, well, you gotta be kind of be part of the program first because the retreat is yeah for that. Um, it's, it's open to any current clients or past clients and then any plus ones that they want to bring as well. So okay. you don't have to be currently getting coaching in order to go. Okay. But you better know someone, you better know someone who's in the vegan gym, vegan superhero Academy, because you don't want to miss this retreat, which I believe is in late August this year. Yeah. You don't want to miss Robert's dance moves. I think it's what you're trying to say. <laughs> hey, 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 you, you the, your words, not mine, but, um, Elke, I want to thank you, uh, for joining me today on Vegan Conversations with Robert Cheek on Chef AJ Live. Um, Chef, a Chef AJ has about 200,000 subscribers right here on YouTube and a bunch of followers on other platforms as well. And it's just, it's an honor to be here uh, every month and have amazing guests like you, Elke. And you obviously have your own platforms as well. Can you let people know where they could find you if they wanted to find you on, on perhaps social media or online? Yeah, for sure. Honestly, the best place if you're just looking for me solely would just be my Instagram. So I believe that's tagged as well. I sent that over. And then in terms of finding like my story or anything about me, that would be thevegangym.com. And then you can find my profile, which I believe I also sent over and tagged. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Elke. Well, I appreciate you spending the last hour and few minutes with us. And Chef AJ, thank you for rocking. Well, no, thank you. I, you know, Elke, you are really wise before uh, beyond your years and your family all has your, your first names and everybody in your family. They're all kind <laughs> of uh, interesting, to, unique yeah. to you. I, I, yeah. I, I called your brother Leif, er, Leif Erickson instead. I don't yeah. know what is wrong. Hon honestly, he gets that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So and okay. I, I do have the flexibility of a, a few additional minutes. So 45 isn't necessarily the exact hard cutoff. I could yeah, go Because there was actually a question in the chat and I'll read it to you. Uh, 
from Amelia. Any advice for someone who's trying hard to exercise, but constantly set back with muscle pain? Mm, okay. Well, the first question to just figure out is what is the cause of the muscle pain? Is it coming from muscle fatigue? Is it coming from any type of injury or is it just uh, a lack of the proper recovery time or something else? Like there could be so many different factors for why you're having that pain in the first place. But most importantly, I would make sure getting the appropriate amount of sleep, getting the right amount of just nutrients that your body needs. And then a lot of people run into the issue of going zero to hundred in terms of their training or in terms of their habits where they say, okay, I, I've, I'm in this position. Now I want to take it to the extreme. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this every single day. So it's really important to find a way to ease into things instead of taking it zero to hundred right away. So I would have to know a lot more about, you know, where you're coming from, what you have access to, what movements don't feel good for you, what movements do uh, in order to actually answer you fully. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Nice. Well, this was a lot of fun, you guys. It's such a pleasure getting to know you. And that retreat does sound like a lot of fun. We love to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's Chef AJ. It's, it's really cool. I mean, you know, I've toured uh, many events on lots of different continents, many different countries, and the Vegan Superhero Academy retreat and the Vegan Cruise are just kind of like, they're very different, but they're like my two big favorite events because the just how dynamic they are in their own ways. And so I know you've done the cruise many times, Chef AJ, this is a completely different thing, which is a lot of running around and playing capture the flag and dodgeball and, and team exercise and celebrating and dancing and karaoke and all that stuff, which in a lot of ways makes the, the Vegan Superhero Academy retreat um, uh, more exciting than, than, than the cruise, just because of the nature of it and the style of it. And, um, and so, yeah, hopefully, uh, you could ch check it out sometime and, and your that audience sound like, can check it, it out. sounds like fun. The only zero to hundred you'll see is me on the dance floor and elk in the dance floor. <laughs> That'll be the zero to hundred. Yeah. And, and karaoke. Don't forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You really uh, know how you, you guys have a talent show. Uh, we no, no, we don't have one. We have the karaoke. Maybe uh, it's time to add the talent show. Yeah, we played around with the idea, but we have we have so many opportunities to share our talents throughout the rest of the week. <laughs> oh, you know what we do have though? We it was just so fun, Chef AJ. Every year that I've been, well, every it's I've been there every year they've had it. We have country line dancing or swing dancing. Which one is it? Country line dancing? Swing. swing. Yeah, country swing dancing. Yeah. Dosey do swing your partner round around. I mean, that that is that is fun. I I really like the swing dancing. It's like a mix of line dancing and some contra dancing. Square dancing. That's what it is. Square dancing. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, square dancing. Yeah, of course. Like something's we, not right about that. Yeah. Right, right. We go in a square with your arms crossed and, and do -si do and swing your partner. And yeah, that, that's that's so much fun. So uh, yeah, come out and square dance with us, Chef AJ. <laughs> Sounds good. And supposedly, I'm told there's another question in the chat, but I'm not seeing it. Right. Oh, boy. I think it if might I have been. a chat, I would also look. Let's see, because 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 my chat disappears. My one of the moderators just texted me, but I'm sorry. I you know it'd be better if you just type it in. I don't see it, and I do apologize to the person because I I don't like to interrupt while you guys are talking. I like to wait until the end. Yeah, all good. Oh. All right. Well, thank guys so much. Yeah. Is there I, so they weren't able to type it in again, or are well, we I I can't. Uh, uh, Suzanne, if you're still there, you you texted it to me, but I can't read it on my phone. So uh, that's the thing. So we always, I always like for people to wait until like the end of the interview, if possible, to put the questions in because my chat my chat does disappear. So okay. no, I, uh, let's see. I 
Yeah, I, I just, I can't see the question in here. Uh, they'll have to go to thevegangym.com and they'll have to reach <laughs> out to Elkie there and they'll have to schedule a call and, and get to know Elkie and, and she can be this their success coach. That's <laughs> That can be the next step. Absolutely. We covered a lot of ground today, Elkie. We covered oh, a lot oh of here ground. it is. So she typed it in the chat. She said, I'm fully vegan, SOS free. My wife and others think my diet is unhealthy. What is the best way to share with them how healthy this diet really is? Oh, I mean, I would first want to ask again, why are why are they perceiving it as unhealthy, right? It's just like, what's the misunderstanding there? Some people honestly don't do it in a way that really serves them. Some people say, oh, I'm, I'm whole foods, plant-based, SOS free. I'm only eating potatoes, in which case, yeah, you are missing some of the fundamental things that your body needs. So one is your own nutrition balanced in a way that your body needs and wants. And then are you, yeah, I mean, they would just be kind of comparing their idea of health compared to where you are and the lifestyle that you're carrying through. But at the end of the day, in terms of resources, yeah, whole foods plant-based is uh, incredibly healthy for you. So I would refer to them to different resources, especially like nutrition, nutritionfacts.org, just outlining um, the impacts of a lot of different animal products on your health. Now, I don't think you can convince anyone, you know, that old saying a person convinced yeah. against their will is of the same opinion. So I yeah. have a friend who's always asking me, you know, her husband, this and that, prove to him. And we send him everything from the medical research. And until somebody's willing to do it, it doesn't matter what you say, you yeah. know, but I would, I would have an appointment with one of the plant-based doctors. Cause sometimes if they hear from a doctor, they believe it. Marianne says, I'm 61. Can I join the vegan gym? Absolutely. Don't read into my age. <laughs> so we work with clients in all age ranges. We've worked with we work all the time with 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds. We've worked with 70-year-olds and even up in their 80s. So regardless of where you're coming in from, yeah, age is a factor or wherever you are is a factor in terms of what your body needs and wants. But at the same time, it's not a limitation at all. And so wherever you're at, we would build everything completely customized to you and what you need. Great. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. It uh -huh. has been such a pleasure and such an honor being part yeah. of this. So really, Robert, thank you for thinking of me. Chef AJ, thank you for having this platform in the first place. And yeah, I love it. And you're going to get two free bottles of California balsamic vinegar just for being on the show. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> hey, where are my bottles? No, Robert, you got it the first time you're on, but you don't get it from around every uh, Okay, 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 I got you. I got yeah. you. We can arrange a trade. I get, I'll I find can, I can send you some for your next birthday or something. So thanks, guys. And thanks, all of you, for watching another episode of Chef Asia Live. Please come back at 1130 tomorrow for Dr. Gustavo Tolosa for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He's going to show you how to prosper with potatoes.